0: Yeah. Yeah, I think it would. And I think that IDGs get at some really just fundamental human values. Um, When I first showed it to my boss, he was like, well, this is just a guide to be a good person.
1: This is a podcast called Walk, Talk, Listen. good day everybody this is another episode of the podcast walk talk listen and as always I'm delighted with today's guest who will introduce herself Haley please go ahead
0: hi everyone I'm Haley Krim I am a climate researcher um, in Washington DC so nice to be here
1: yeah no and and great to to have you in and you know we, we met a couple of weeks ago uh, during the second uh in the development goal summit and we will talk a little bit about it uh, later but um yeah th- tell us a bit about you know where did you grow up and you know how how did that maybe contribute to what you're doing now and and um you know or inform. So i so I'm always curious and I know the the listeners as well
0: So I am actually recording this in my parents' house where I grew up part of my childhood part of the time. So I moved around a lot um, between Maryland. I was born in Ohio, actually. Um, And then we lived in England for a little bit. So I got to see a lot of different, yeah, different kind of social structures and school types and things like that, um, which I think influenced how I approach.
1: And and how did you... Parents end up in England as well. What type of work did they do?
0: So it was for my dad's job. We okay. moved, you know, all of our moves were for his job. Mm-hmm. And he was working on, he's like kind of a marketing guy. And mm-hmm. he's working on hyper specialized diets for people who can't process certain, you know, amino acids or proteins or something like that. um Things that help with epilepsy, like really specific mm-hmm. rare disease, nutritional stuff. Um, and so we were moved both first to Maryland and then to England and then back to Maryland. And then he actually worked in Israel for a little bit, but we didn't move there.
1: Okay. Yeah. And, and, uh, and how do you think, you know, that moving and, and living in different cultures um, contributed to who you are today and, and maybe also what you're doing today?
0: I think it really shaped my outlook. And I do a lot of work at the international level and like Mm -hmm. cross-cultural level. And I think it definitely, my interest in that was probably shaped by how much I moved. Um, And I mean, I started out in kind of a normal school in Ohio. Mm -hmm. Um, We moved when I was eight to Maryland and I went to a Quaker school, which is very different. Um, You know, you call your teachers by their first names, um, it's very, you know, interactive and sort of experience based. People call it call it like a summer camp. Um, so I had a great time. And then after about a year, we moved to England, where I went to a normal British school, which is mm. totally different to both of those. Um, you know, you wear the tie, and uh, everyone is you call people sir and ma'am. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was very different but was it difficult
1: for you that change
0: it was i think it was more difficult because i was like 10 to 13 so it was kind of an angsty time in my life um but i really appreciated it and my parents obviously while we were there um took advantage of how close everything was and how much history there is so we went to you know rome and all over um europe Kind of educational trips as mm. our um, vacations which was really amazing I don't think I appreciated it enough at the time mm-hmm. uh, but now I definitely do and I think it has informed um, you know how I connect with people and mm. talk to people and approach the world um, I feel very lucky to have done that obviously so many people don't have the opportunity to live abroad but um, but, yeah, it was, it was an amazing experience, especially in retrospect, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a little too much of a teenager or a teen to appreciate that at the time. Um, and, but, and are yeah. you an
1: only child or, or do you have brothers and sisters?
0: I have a brother. Um, he's yeah. a professional soccer player. Oh. But he's injured at the moment, so he's not playing. But, um, yeah, so we went into kind of different career paths.
1: Yeah. And is he younger or older than you are?
0: He's 19 months younger than me. So we're very close in age. Okay. And in general.
1: Yeah. So when you went back to the States, where did you study? And why did you choose, um, you know, the study that you did? And yeah, and then take us to the job that you have now.
0: Yeah. So I came back to the States when I was in seventh grade. So I did finish middle school and high school um, back at the Quaker school. We came back to Maryland. Um, And then I went to a really small school in Houston, Maine, Mm -hmm. which uh, you might've heard about recently in the news, unfortunately. Um, But it was an incredible time. It was a great school called Bates. Um, Just such a good community and campus. and there I studied environmental studies. Mm-hmm. Specifically, I focused on energy systems. I started out in global environmental politics, but ended up um, working more on the energy side. And I chose that because when I went to college, I thought I would do either chemistry or aeronautical engineering. Um, oh. Some, A lot of my mom's family are like pilots and engineers for planes. And... So of course I chose a school that didn't have an engineering department, and <laughs> I got there and found that chemistry was really interesting. But I was also interested in so many other things, like I didn't want to just do chemistry and miss out on history and you know languages and art and things like that. And you can do all of those things in an environmental uh, major. So I really really enjoyed the breadth. I took literature classes for it. Um, yeah, art for it. Of course, science and policy. It was so interesting. Um, And that just kind of hooked me. And I still work in a totally interdisciplinary way, um, working on climate engagement, communication, education, and workforce development um, at the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration Mm -hmm. in the U.S. So we are, you know, developing things to help people talk about and make decisions about climate
1: change and and I before I ask you to explain more about the work that you're doing now and especially in a very interesting publication um you it seemed to me when I, you know uh, because I I always try to you know to prepare myself in in terms of what have my guest been doing but you were really active in in a lot of different networks uh, related with climate change as a young uh, adult, already very active um, around COP. So how did that happen? Was that during your study o- already? Or or how did you roll into that?
0: It was totally just falling into it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I graduated in 2019. I'm 26 right now. Mm-hmm. And right before the pandemic. So I had a summer. I just worked at a place in town. And then I joined AmeriCorps, which is a you know, kind of national service program where you volunteer to go for a year to somewhere in the U.S. and just do something. And what I was doing Mm -hmm. was working for a local government in the south side of Chicago, in the south suburbs. Um, And I was working for them on sustainability issues. So again, a lot on energy, but also waste, recycling, things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, So I actually kind of started in local government. Got involved in some of the networks of local governments around the US and around the world. And the pandemic hit right in the middle of that. So I switched over a little bit to helping with pandemic response. Um, And then after my term of service ended, again, right in the middle of the pandemic, um, I was just kind of searching around and happened to know some people from an internship I did before who were putting together a network. Of in climate and environmental education, primarily organizations who were going to COP26, which was um, in 2021. So I was able to, because I didn't have anything else to do really in the pandemic, um, help coordinate that group. And that's how I was able to go to COP for the first time. Um, and then I got really into some of the youth networks and activist networks there. And um, You know, met a bunch of people from across the U.S. and around the world, all working on action for climate empowerment, which is um, comes out of the Paris Agreement um, and the original UNFCCC Agreement. Um, But basically, it says that we need climate education, training, public access to information, public engagement, um, international cooperation. I think I'm missing one. I'm trying to list these off the top of my head. There's six pillars. so I got really involved in that network and have since continued that. Now that's what I work on in my job um, under a different name. And yeah, so it really kind of was serendipity. And because of the pandemic that I was able to move as far as I have
2: internationally.
1: No, th- th- thank you. I mean, that's, that's I- interesting. I, what I realized is that, I mean, you and I, I work in this field so so you know cop is something that we understand but not just for ensure to ensure that all the listeners understand what cop stands for it's the confidence of the parties actually officially um and it has to do with the un um uh you know climate change conference that happens every year since i don't know when it actually started but uh well 20, we are at 28, uh, so 20, 20 years ago, 28 years ago. Um, so, yeah, and and so it, it's pretty amazing that as a as a young adult, you were really active and, and uh, among a, a lot of different networks. And then you end up, you know, working for the government in the US. And um, yeah, tell us about what you are specifically doing there, because I, I think that's really interesting, and and especially because um, you know we have a global audience and they have certain um, prejudices and and assumptions about you know what the, the U.S. government might be doing or not be doing around climate. Um, so yeah, tell us a bit about uh, what your work is about.
0: Absolutely, Um, yeah. The U.S. government is a huge machine, so it is so hard to see what is actually Mm -hmm. going on. Um, But there is a lot going on, way more than I even expected when I started this job. um, As coming from kind of this background where I was pushing the government to do things, Um, but if anyone's worried about that, there is a lot going on at the moment. Um, So my job is sort of split. So I work Mm -hmm. at NOAA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, which is an agency within the Department of Commerce, Mm -hmm. funnily enough. Um, And there I work a lot on climate training, so workforce development pretty much for the US government um, and figuring out how to help other agencies, um, other departments make sure that everyone in their workforce, what they can do in their job to further on climate. Um, So for example, we make um, training videos with other organizations. We did one with the Department of Transportation um, to bring, you know, climate science, basic, super basic climate science, um, Mm -hmm. climate justice, solutions, impact projections um, to their workforce in ways that are relevant to people who work in transportation. Um, And then my other part of my job is I I'm working with the uh, U.S. Global Change Research Program, which is an interagency group, so it doesn't sit in any piece of the U.S. government. It's a group collaboration of 14 different agencies. And there, I coordinate a network um, that is 30 different agencies, all working on basically action for climate empowerment. So those things I listed before, which... I realized I forgot one. So it's climate change, education, public awareness, training, public participation in decision-making, mm. public access to information, and international cooperation. So in the U.S. government, we call it climate engagement and capacity building. It's slightly different words for those things, um, but it's the same sort of idea. Mm-hmm. And so there are 30 agencies working on this. It's huge. Yeah. Um, so I coordinate efforts there. And one of those um, is the writing a new climate literacy guide. We are building a database of all climate trainings across the government so that people can access training. Um, we're helping with the rollout of the national climate assessment, which is like a us specific IPCC report, which is coming out really soon, depending on when this is published, it might already be out. Um, and yeah, a bunch of different things and, and also just sharing best practices, helping people with questions that they have um around engagement capacity building Mm -hmm. education um for you know from nasa to the navy Mm -hmm. to um you know department of labor museum and library services like everyone Um, it's a really really fun and inspiring group to work with Mm
1: That, that sounds all fantastic, Haley. I have two questions around this because, I mean, one is you know you're relatively young, so it's exciting to to see that, you know, um, apparently there is a space for you know young professionals to work within the government. So are you the only one, or is are there you know how is that within everything you do? Um, I'm sure because we talk in my podcast a lot about the younger generation and what they aspire to and how they are really involved and engaged in the work that is uh, happening in this in this world today. Um, and then the second question is, you know, I I work a lot in the global space and arena and the the um, how do you say this nicely the you know the u s. is not seen as a as a front runner in terms of, you know the, the the things that need to happen to make this world more sustainable. So but when I listen to you, there is much more going on that maybe the outside world outside of the u s is aware of. so how how do you see that?
2: Yeah, tough questions. Mm.
0: <laughs> on the youth piece, I would say, Yes, there is definitely opportunity for young people in government. um, In local government, international, obviously, and national government. Um, I think compared with some of my friends, my office isn't as young. Mm -hmm. um, But there definitely are opportunities, I would say. But I also feel like I kind of. Well, or serendipity brought me to a lot of the places mm. that I'm at. So I don't know how replicable it is necessarily. I think, especially, um, kind of in government, everyone ends up where they are through circumstance. I guess that's true all the time. Um, but yeah, there are opportunities, and I know people are thinking about it a lot. It didn't necessarily used to be the way mm-hmm. things were, um, but it's at least. With people that I've talked to, people are much, very conscious about hiring more young voices and making mm. sure that young people are really represented both in government, like actually doing government work, and also mm. in the decision making, um, especially around climate. So that's encouraging, but there's a there's a long way to go.
2: Mm.
0: And then around how the U.S. is viewed, I think that is in a lot of ways founded. Um, you know, the U.S. is the largest historical emitter. Um, and it holds a lot of the money and technology that can be useful and it's desperately needed by a lot of other countries. Um, I think, not to say anything about national policy necessarily, but there is a ton of work going on at smaller levels mm-hmm. and in ways that are not visible necessarily. It's not, you know, grand in government announcements or something a lot Mm -hmm. of the time. But I think from a government perspective, there's a lot going on to shift that the machine or Mm -hmm. my boss describes it as like a ship. And it takes a lot of energy to move that ship Mm -hmm. even a couple degrees to one side or the other. But I think it's happening. And Mm -hmm. the foundations for that were laid a long time ago at least several years ago. So there are things like like training everyone who works for the government Mm -hmm. in climate science and justice and, you know, impacts and how you consider this in your work. Um, Things like, you know, for the first time ever, there's a whole of government approach to climate change, meaning that, you know, the Department of Labor or the Department of Education Mm -hmm. has to be involved and has to figure out what they're doing on climate change in the same way that, you know, NASA or the Environmental Protection Agency or, you know, the National Science Foundation does, like people Mm -hmm. who tend to be who you think of when you think about climate change. And we're seeing a lot of interest from groups like, you know, the Treasury or um, the Navy. I'm just saying some off the top of my head, Mm -hmm. but um, there are like people that I didn't even know existed, groups I didn't know about, Mm -hmm. and groups that I didn't even understand how they relate necessarily to climate um are really coming out and trying to do stuff they're looking for to work together um it's very collaborative which i think is really exciting um but with all of that said do i mean there is we can always do more we have to do more there's no way we're making our nationally determined contributions at the moment we're not meeting our goals um no country really is Mm -hmm. i don't think um if there it's only a couple so there's always 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 more we need to do from government from you know companies from local government um at the community level we definitely have more to do and we have more responsibility Um, but yeah, so I think a lot of times that view is founded, but we're really um there are a lot of people really working on it. Um, mm-hmm. yeah.
1: No, thank you for that. And I, I think it's you know it's it's good to um for people who are not familiar with the US to understand. I mean, it's an enormous country. And 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 you know, I always I'm I'm originally from the Netherlands, I always tell Europeans, you know, uh, think about you know, one Europe there are many challenges and um you know things that are going on in Italy might be different than in France or than in the Netherlands. And you have to compare the US a little bit like that. So maybe overall, you know, I things definitely can can be done better. But what I've seen and, and as you also explained at the at the you know the state level at the at the local levels a lot is going on which is which is which is good so so um yeah I think it would be helpful if people come up with opinions to really try to understand uh, what's happening now the conclusion is still that more needs to be done but that's not only for the US that's actually for the for the whole world right so um Mm -hmm. yeah thanks thanks for that and I'm, I'm encouraged to hear um you know all the things that you're doing Um, You know, I always try to talk with my guests about the Sustainable Development Goals, um, because I really think um, it might not be perfect, but it's something that we as a world came up with, and we should pay attention to. I know that you are familiar with the SDGs, um, so that's not a question that I'm going to ask you if you know about the SDGs, but what do you want the listeners to know about the Sustainable Development Goals? From your
2: perspective?
0: I think, well, one thing that always surprises people when I talk internationally is that in the US, we don't talk about them. Mm -hmm. Um, I only heard about them when I started working internationally. It's just not, it's not in the public consciousness the way it is in, Mm -hmm. I think, most other countries, um, which is something that I think we have a lot of work to do around. I think The SDGs provide a common language that's really important, especially when you're working internationally. Um, So having more people in the U.S. be familiar with that, I think would allow them to work more easily with other people in other countries on the same level. Um, And kind of in response to what you were just saying, I think a huge part of what is happening and needs to happen in the US, like you're talking about, it is kind of more like the EU in the ways that powers are divided and you know, progress is happening at totally different levels in different areas. Um, the really important thing that is happening and needs to be accelerated is that people in different states or in different regions are finding each other and learning from each other and building networks to accelerate each other's work, which is super, super powerful. And we're seeing it Really help in the climate space, um, especially when you know resources are really hard to come by funding isn't always there. Um, it's hard to get your word out. and I think if more people were able to have a common language like the SDGs, we could expand that internationally mm-hmm. as well. and I know obviously there are, people are doing that internationally um, but I think in the US we tend to be more inward focused um, or nationally focused so Having that awareness would help uh, build those, Mm. you know, subnational, maybe a city to a city or a small business to a small business kind of connections Mm. around shared goals that I think people in the U.S. do share, but just don't have the language to talk about.
1: You know, you... The a uh, most recent report showed that um, we are only at fifteen percent on average in terms of reaching the the goals. Um, and you know, okay, there are many reasons for it. People say because of the poly crisis, wars going on, etc. Um, but a growing group of people, um, and I know that you are aware because we met um, this group of people that is growing. Uh, said that you know one of the reasons, actually, is that we don't pay proper attention to the ability, skills, and knowledge that you need as an individual and as a community to work on the on these process changes that you need and these systems changes. And so the inner development goals are born, right? Five inner development goals being, thinking, relating, collaborating, and acting. Um, well, I know that you're really working on that on these inner development goals. Can you tell a little bit about, you know, how you try to incorporate those inner development goals in your work?
0: Yeah. So I mentioned earlier where one of the things that we're doing is writing a climate literacy guide. Hmm. So that is actually a set of guides. So it'll include a knowledge framework, like just what do you need to know about climate change um, to be considered climate literate, there also will be a skills and abilities framework for the first time. So that we are looking at um, transformative skills for the climate crisis is what we're calling them, but it's really based off of the IDGs. And the idea there is, you know, just like the SDGs, here are some shared language, shared goals, um, shared concepts to help, accelerate progress towards the SDGs. And Mm -hmm. so we take them and put them in the context of SDG 13, which is climate action. Mm -hmm. And really all we're doing is giving some context or some examples of where you might see these IDGs in action. Mm -hmm. So for example, if you're talking about critical thinking, um, which is one of the IDGs in thinking um, Mm -hmm. you might see, for example, um, one of the examples of how you might demonstrate critical thinking could be, you know, a climate influencer on Instagram is checking her sources before she posts something to make Mm -hmm. sure that she's only spreading accurate information. Or how you might develop that skill could be, you know, in a class, maybe a high school class, you are examining a climate story or any story from multiple different news sources and talking about, you know, how people are approaching it, how it's framed, why it might be framed that way. So we're trying to make it more concrete by giving examples of how these things might play out in a climate context. Mm -hmm. Um, But we do believe that these are really important principles and ideas for getting that kind of cultural societal movement towards climate action in a way that we so desperately need
1: and is, is that already available on the website or it will be available uh, soon
0: it will be available soon mm-hmm. i won't give the dates because it's very up in the air but hopefully mm-hmm. this winter um it will be up for public comment so anyone will be able to go on there and let us know what you think about it um okay. So yeah, and that'll be on globalchange.gov. Um, hopefully, okay. You should check that
1: out. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I will I monitor that, and, and that's because it's really interesting. How do you do? You foresee any? What type of challenges do you foresee in terms of making that available? That resource because it's what I understood when I was listening to you in Stockholm. Um, it's not mandatory. So schools, they will choose to use it or not, and and um, you know, within the educational system in the U.S., a lot is going on. You know, certain books are not being read anymore. So there is also you know a lot of controversy around if is climate change real. Um, so yeah, what do you foresee, and how do you are there any strategies in trying to you know spread it as as much as possible so that people will start to use it or is this too early in the process
0: no that's a huge part of what we're thinking about as we're developing these um yeah so the federal government in the u.s doesn't set climate pol- or sorry education policy it does set mm-hmm. climate policy um in a lot of ways but so states decide what they teach and mm-hmm. basically kind of like the u.n is how mm-hmm. we always talk about it. Um, So it's federalized. So we can't mandate any climate education or any, you know, type of education at all. Um, But what we're doing is talking to the states to try to get them to adopt it. We're talking to individual schools and teachers and legislators um, to just offer it as a resource. Honestly, it's not even that some states will pick it up and make it mandatory or, you know, add it to their curricula in some way. But just what we hear from teachers is they just want something that is credible from the government that they can use in their classroom. So we're thinking um, it might be more start as more of a distributed thing and then through word of mouth, hopefully gain some traction and maybe be implemented at a state or regional level. Um, in it's not just for schools also. So we're working with groups of museums mm-hmm. for how they can build it into museum exhibits. Um, we're working with college professors and how they can build classes around it. And then um, it'll just be open to the public as well. So mm-hmm. we're um, figuring out how to do some you know, marketing or education kind of campaigns or public service announcements or something like that mm-hmm. so that people can, can access this and just know it's there um so oh. yeah it's a multi-pronged approach definitely yeah, yeah. but it's yeah, yeah we so because we can't just tell people to implement it mm-hmm.
1: okay we will make sure that that um yeah we will put those links in in the podcast now so people can you know check it out if it's as soon as it's there to to yeah to read it and to educate themselves and maybe also um spread the news right make make it known uh, it's important um hey Haley so so this particular podcast is a is a spin-off of a 100 mile walk that I've been doing since 2012 to raise awareness uh and funds to end hunger poverty and injustice so then during the pandemic, I was not able to, I, I still walked, but I was not able to be accompanied by others. And then I thought, okay, but, you know, that's, but that's kind of a nice part of the walking. Um, so then I started to do the virtual walk through this podcast. And um, so it has gone on a little, a little bit out of hand. So so <laughs> two, two years after we're still doing this. Um, but the question that I always ask is, you know, to my guests is if you would be asked to walk 100 mile in a week, you know, or in, in five to seven days, so 15 to 20 miles a day, for which course would you walk? And why?
0: Funnily enough, I actually did this one mm-hmm. <laughs> time. Um, it was after. Um, what year was this? Um, it was after the unite the right rally in Charlotte mm-hmm. it was in 2017 okay. um, which was kind of a white suprem- it was a white supremacist um, demonstration in in Virginia mm-hmm. and someone was killed someone drove their car into the crowd and a bunch of people were hurt and someone mm-hmm. was killed and after that it's about a hundred miles from DC, this town mm-hmm. Charlottesville, Virginia. so a group of faith You know, organizers and priests and um, preachers and rabbis and imams and everyone organized this group to walk 100 miles back to DC um, for racial justice and for to raise awareness around, you know, that kind of stuff, to call for um, Black Lives Matter and everything. So I was able to do not all of that, but part of that. Mm -hmm. So that's one example. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and it was just an amazing, amazing opportunity. And um, I learned so much from everyone there. And then, yeah, I, maybe it's not surprising, but I would also do it for climate justice, um, which is intimately tied with racial justice, but
2: you know, economic, climate, um,
0: social justice hmm. aspects of that. Um, Maybe we should do it <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. i'm 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 looking for people who can take over the walk for me so I um, would like to hand it over to to the next generation. so let's talk about that um, yeah, so you know during those during those talks, and I don't know if you also experienced that when you you know walked towards d c um walking has a kind of a you know it, it makes me at least talking about thinking about you know why we on earth you know what's the purpose and and then I often talk with with uh, my guests about religion and spirituality um and oddly enough we talk about hey but how is how does the, the younger generation looks at this and um so some people say, well, you know, they're not religious anymore. And others say, well, no, you know, they might not go to church, but it doesn't mean they're not religious. And others say, no, you're correct, but they're still spiritual. And so, My my question to you is, what do you see happening among uh, you, so in your community?
0: Yeah, I think I see both of those perspectives. I think people are a lot less religious mm-hmm. in terms of like, you know, big R religion or going to church or wherever. Um, I think that's pretty true, probably than the previous generation. Like our parents have definitely been our grandparents, um, but I also think people are spiritual. People are still um, finding meaning in you know community and ritual and gatherings in a less organized way. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, of course, some people like I have friends who are converting. We're a couple years out of college and. Mm-hmm. Who have really figured out where they want to go in life and are converting to a religion, um, which is super interesting. I have a couple of people who, uh, a couple of friends who have become like ordained ministers or priests. Mm. Um, one of my friends is converting to Judaism. Um, yeah, it's just really interesting. I think people are on their own journeys and it's not necessarily in the care of a spiritual leader of some sort mm-hmm.
2: um but yeah i think i think it's still there
1: okay
0: people are just finding it in different ways i think
1: yeah and and you know when you talked about SDGs, you would say you know it's helpful as a, as a common language that we talked about uh, inner development goals and now around spirituality you know do you think that These inner development goals can also help, you know, as as an extra tool or an extra language to bring the more faith communities together with the more secular. Does it have that potential or how do you see that?
0: Yeah, I think it would. And I think that IDGs get at some really just fundamental human values. Mm -hmm. Um, When I first showed it to my boss, he was like, well, this is just a guide to be a good person. Um it really is I mean you can't really argue with any of the IDGs and I think it could be a, an important place of shared shared language and coming together around something and there they are tenets and you know teachings that are found in most religions um at least some of the IDGs so I think it doesn't it shouldn't take a lot of convincing um to get people on board and maybe it can provide a way into sustainable development or climate action for people who don't necessarily see themselves there um, but if they can see themselves in in these goals maybe they can figure out how to take a step in
2: mm-hmm. um, no
1: so i i i really hope and, and think also you know that you know the inner development goals can help to Uh, bring people together and and be able that there is a that will enable them um, to talk with each other what I try to do with this podcast is also to connect people you know to show different perspectives to talk with people from different walks of life and um, what I hope is is um, yeah people realize you have often more in common or even if it's if it's a small part that you have in common you can still use that and to start talking with each other and be connected. And that's really important from my perspective. Um, So I have a, you know, a little, introduce a little question where I try to do that, to connect uh, my guests with each other. Um, And so I have a question of the previous guest for you.
0: Wow. My question for the next guest will be, um, what is their small action that they are doing to ensure sustainable goals are being attained? What are their small actions? Kind of hard to choose a small action. I feel like most of my actions are are going that direction. Um, I guess a really small action, mm-hmm. while my parents are on vacation and watching their dog, that's why in my, um, in my childhood house. And my brother and I have decided not to blow the leaves because it's fall. So all the leaves are on the lawn. So we are trying to help the bugs, <laughs> which is like the smallest action. Um, it actually is, I guess, the removal of an action of actually blowing the leaves. Um, but trying to create a habitat so that we can support insect populations, For which gets at you know food, it gets at mm-hmm. biodiversity. I can't remember if that's an SDG, but um, hopefully it gets at, you know, sustainable communities and things like that. Um, But yeah, that's a really small (laughs) action. Yeah. That's that's
1: the question was about that. That's a, that's a great answer. Um, Yeah. Do you have any question for the next guest?
0: Yeah. I would be really interested to hear Your thoughts on hope, do you feel like that is a motivating force for you? Where do you find it? Um, Is it something that is a distraction maybe? Um, There's a lot of talk in youth climate movement about this, so I'm always interested to hear people's thoughts.
1: Steve Hartman of CBS uh, in the U.S., examines or has examined how one simple act of kindness creates a ripple effect so i have two questions to you about that um what are your thoughts about you know the potential of one simple act of kindness and creating a ripple effect and then the second part of my question is if i would ask you right now on the spot to commit to one simple act of kindness what would you do this week
0: I think that is definitely true, and I think we need it, especially in the U.S. where things are so tense right now, mm-hmm. um, that, yeah, I think it is, it is a ripple effect, and I think it, makes, it brings communities together and makes people just feel nice. Mm-hmm. Um, what would I do? I saw that people were collecting donations for um, just like a community food bank the other day. So where you could go after your grocery run and just put them there after, um, after you check out, which I thought was really cool. So maybe trying to just do that, but then also spread that, that model, I think would be kind of nice.
2: Okay, I hope you will do that this week. (laughs) Me too, Um, I will.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Hey, um, yeah, any, any message or invitation or question
2: for the listeners?
0: Um, I guess I would just ask people to think about what they're doing um, related to climate change and also that they know that it is not their problem solely to solve. Um, There's so much guilt and paralysis around climate change. And just know that we're all in this together and we're all doing our best. And um, while you can think about it, think about what you can do in your community as well and organizing as a group because we're stronger together.
1: I'm not going to ask you about your worry you worry about because i i I think i kind of know after we've talked i am i am going to ask you about whether you still see hope but especially i've i've a follow-up issue around this because when i talk with with the majority well with the majority of my more senior guests when i ask that question where do you see hope they almost all of them they say, well, it's about the youth, about the younger generation. So my question is to you is actually not where do you see hope? It's more like, what do you think about the fact that, you know, these more senior citizens are always saying, you know, I, I see hope in in you, in the younger generation. What do you think about that?
0: I love this question because it's so common to be asked. Like, oh, what what brings you hope? You know, why do you do this? Um, always by older people, like on panels and things. Mm-hmm. So it's really nice that you ask this question. In some ways, it's nice to be recognized, obviously. The young younger generation is doing a lot. Um, and a lot of that is because there's no other option. So my response to the first question is always like, hope is secondary. There isn't another option. Like we have to do this. It's immediate and it's urgent and it impacts all of us. So I think. It is nice to be recognized by older people that, you know, you like what we're doing, I guess. (laughs) Um, But at the same time, you're not off the hook. You know, we can't do this by ourselves. And the older generations have power and they have a lot more than younger generations in a lot of ways at the moment. Um, So we all have to work together. It has to be an intergenerational effort with you know, the oldest people to the youngest people right now, and going forward, um, that's the only way that we do this.
2: You know, we we, we really got to know
1: you. I, I think in our conversation uh, today, I would like to go one step further, and I purposely, you know, put this question at the end because you told me in the beginning, "Oh, this is such a hard question," but I'm going to ask it anyway. Is if I ask you to mention a song or a piece of music. That embodies for a big part. What you are about, which song or piece of music would that be and why?
0: Oh, this is the one that was torturing me when I was looking <laughs> at the questions. Um, I think what I'm about in like currently or issues that I see, there's a song by my favorite artist, Hozier. It's only on YouTube, it's not even a recorded song. Um, but it's called But the Wages. And I think it just really eloquently lays out kind of my outlook on the world today, but in a very, in kind of a hopeful way, like it's a, it's a happy, fun, upbeat song um, that really lays out, you know, the military industrial complex and, um, you know, late capitalism problems, and <laughs> climate change and, you know, racial injustice and all of these things. Um, but in a way that asks, "What do we do about it?" Um, so that's one of my favorite songs, and honestly, anything by him, um, just really kind of speaks to me. <laughs> he's okay. such a great artist.
1: And yeah, if I ask you, okay, name name another two songs of him. What would you What would you uh, mention?
0: Ooh, of his, I think um, he's another song called "Jack Boot Jump" in kind mm-hmm. of a similar vein. Um, It's not all protest songs that he does. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there's a song, No Plan. Um, I think it's from his second album. That's just kind of about, you know, we don't know how this ends. We don't know anything like that. Mm -hmm. Um, So just enjoy it while you're here. And there's another one sort of in a similar vein from the new album called. Or, I don't know if it was on the new album. You're discovering my obsession, this year. <laughs> <laughs> but um, that also is a really good song. And I have just forgotten the name, so I'm looking it up. It's such a good song. Anything from the new album, I mean, anything at all, is they're all so good. Oh, All Things End. All Things End. That's the one that I was talking about. And okay. it's basically. I think it's a good metaphor for a lot of like issues at the moment and you know we don't know what what's going to happen but everything comes to an end and that shouldn't change how you're living right now and it you know you can always plan um and keep this is so listen to the song because he says it so eloquently this is butchering it (laughs) um yeah he just says he articulates that idea so so eloquently mm.
1: great now and and uh, just I don't know if you're aware but um, I made a, a playlist on on Spotify and it consists of all the songs that have been selected by my guests so we will also add you know one or two songs of your favorite artist if you go to Amazing. Spotify and you go to hashtag walk talk listen you should be able to find it um, playlist and that consists of you know hard rock to soul to um, classical music all kinds of stuff. I, I listen to it myself on, actually on a regular basis because it reminds me again about the awesome you know guests that I've been
2: yeah uh, I've been speaking with. So that's that's really cool.
1: Um, yeah, Haley. You know, I I um. I think we came to the end of our conversation. Thank you so much um, for your time and everything you do. Oh, one question that I wanted to ask you. So, so you know, when you were studying, you were still part of so many different networks. Are you still part of that? Or that's, you can't combine that anymore with the work that you do?
0: No, I definitely am. And I think it's a huge help in the work that I do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love, I'm still in my personal time very active in all of those wow. all of those networks internationally um you know policy hmm. activism things like that um so you can you can separate <laughs> work and life um but it's all for the same cause
1: yeah
0: I, yeah
1: cool um any question i should have asked you which i did not
0: i think you kind of got it this has been such a great interview
2: great thank you so much and and um
1: yeah keep on doing what you're doing and um yeah looking forward to you know when when the 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 guide what is the name exact title of of the
0: so it's still kind of a draft but we're thinking it'll be the climate literacy toolbox maybe um or climate literacy guide
1: okay yeah yeah we will Keep uh, an eye out for it. Um, Yeah, I'm I'm really curious how you will, how that will look. And uh, yeah, thanks. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you so much. Have a good day.
1: You for listening to walk, talk, listen. Please check us out on 100mile.org or follow us on Facebook or Instagram.